Well, I love the Christmas season. I love celebrating Christmas with God's people, most of all. And I just, the carols, the music, the decorations, the smiles that it puts on your faces, or at least most of your faces, all of it is a treasure. Uh, It's just something special about this time of year. And as we've been uh, preaching along this December, we've looked at the birth of Christ from several different perspectives. We've looked at it from Mary's perspective, from Joseph's perspective. We looked at the shepherds and even the wise men. Yet, the advent of the Savior of the world is so much more than just a neat Bible story that's got some interesting Bible characters involved in it. And every Christmas time, every time Christmas rolls around, some verses in Galatians keeps coming to my mind. And it's not what you would consider maybe a Christmas passage. If I would have marched up here and told you, turn in your Bibles to Galatians, you might have thought, what in the world? But rest assured, this is a Christmas message, even though it might not be what you typically think of as a Christmas passage. The Bible is a, just a remarkable book. And why it's remarkable is, well, for one, it's God-breathed. But the other reason it's remarkable is because it has a very singular theme. Jesus himself said, search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me. And no matter where you look in the Bible, you'll find Jesus Christ. So before we get into the passage from Galatians this morning, let me read that familiar Christmas passage from Luke chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world shall be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now even into Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. With that in our minds, turn to Galatians chapter 4, 
verses 4 through 5. If you have your notes, it's there in front of you. But you can also look in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, which says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This morning, from this, just this couple of verses, I want to share with you three incredible truths that we find here in Galatians chapter 4. And the first is the sovereign God. The sovereign God. Verse 4 says, When the fullness of time was come. When was Jesus born? When did God's Son arrive on this earth as a, boy, as a baby boy? According to Galatians 4, verse 4, exactly when God had intended Him to. In the fullness of time He came. All the prerequisites have been made, are met. All the circumstances were just right. It was the right place, the right parents, the right century, the right conditions. It was the fullness of time. The arrival of the Son of God didn't happen a minute too soon or a minute too late. It was not a coincidence. It wasn't mere happenstance. Christ was born when the fullness of time had come. This was the culmination of a plan set in motion from before the dawn of time. God, throughout the entirety of history, had worked out every event, every circumstance, every situation into perfect alignment with His purposes and His plan. Think about just the, the history of mankind. The devil deceives the woman and sets man up for the fall into sin, and then God immediately declares the promise of a Savior. The most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, attempts to enslave the people of God and kill their sons, and God preserves and provides a deliverer. Truly the heart of the king is in the hand of our God, and he turns it whithersoever he will. Nothing is outside of his control, and nothing is beyond his capability or his ability. There's no situation that has ever caught our God off guard. He's never surprised. There's no trouble or trial that is too great for him to work through and resolve in your own life. His timing is not always our timing, because the Bible teaches us that with with God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. But through His timing, even though it's not often our timing, we can rest assured in faith knowing that His timing is always the perfect timing. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, the Savior of all mankind, just when the world was ripe and ready for Him. Think about this time period in history. Just when the Roman Empire had paved roads far and wide, making the spread of the gospel possible. Just when the Greek language was spoken by Jew and Gentile alike, making the New Testament writable. Just when crucifixion, that bloody and terrible form of capital punishment, was practiced and popular, now making the scriptures fulfillable. Just when all the weeks of the prophecies recorded by Daniel would add up, making his arrival predictable. God sent His Son in the fullness of time. 
And Jesus declared that he had not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And that's exactly what he did. Over 350 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled regarding Christ, the Messiah that would come. And the very same God that can orchestrate such a miraculous event as that very first Christmas is the very same God that promises, promises to work all things together for good to them that love him and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Your life, I, I don't know the details of it this morning, but it might be spiraling out of control. You might have just received some bad news at work. Things might not be going well with your health. Things just got complicated in your family. I don't know. Nothing is going according to plan for you and you're about at your wit's end, but can I just remind you this morning, God has not lost control. And your life, as hectic and as crazy as it might be, is still within the realm of God's providence and His sovereignty. Because He can work in and through your life, and if you're one of His children, He is working in and through your life according to His perfect plan, which means for the Christian that no trouble is without purpose. And no trial is without a reason. And all is according to His perfect and powerful plan, which is happening in the fullness of His timing. Maybe your life isn't out of hand, but you're looking around you and you're thinking, boy, the world is kind of out of hand. I'm not sure about our country. I'm not sure about our culture. Uh, it's all unraveling, and our economy might be collapsing, and our freedoms are eroding, and it might, it might could be that our safety is going to be in jeopardy in the near future. And peace is at the precipice, and everything seems like it's on the brink of disaster. But as a Christian, we don't have to be afraid. We are not to be full of care for anything. Why? Because our God is completely and perfectly in control. He is still working all things into His perfect plan. Because just as the Savior was born in the fullness of time, that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago, He will return the second time in the fullness of time to set the world right once and for all. And the birth of the Savior was not the end of God's plan. Since sin entered into the world, God has promised to, to completely rid the world of it one day. And that day is coming, and it could be right around the corner. Those signs of the times are increasing, and it's alarming, but it's also exciting. Because it's not unexpected. It's all in accordance to the perfect plan of our sovereign God. Romans 13 encourages us in verses 11 through 12, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Don't fear. Don't fret. The Bible tells us that nation will rise against nation. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be famines. There'll be sickness. There'll be disease. There'll be fearful sights. There'll be signs in the heavens. There'll be persecutions of God's people. And men's hearts will fail them for fear. And yet, in the midst of all of those troubles, we have hope. Luke 21, 28, Jesus says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Our redemption draws nigh. 
And until we see Him face to face, we are to declare the day of the Lord. We're to make the way ready for Him. We're to share the gospel and spread it while He can. God's got a plan for this world, and He's given us a role to play in that plan as Christians. So stop wringing your hands and stop resenting your circumstances and stop wishing for better times or reminiscing on the good old days. Why? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This today is the situation and the circumstances that God has allowed for you according to His perfect plan. So redeem the time while you can. Because any minute now, it's going to be the fullness of time and our Savior will appear. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3 it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. Your hope in Christ should purify you. It should give you hope and joy. You should be thinking on heavenly things because God is sovereign and always has been and always will be, and He's just as involved in your life as He is in the rest of the world. The sovereignty of God. Secondly, the Son of God. The Son of God. Galatians 4.4 again says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. The sovereign God sent forth the Son of God, which means that the baby born that very first Christmas night was no ordinary child. And the angel told Mary that he would be called the Son of the Highest. The Most High God sent us His Son. He is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus Christ the pre-existent Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, left His throne in God's perfect heaven and came into this wretched world. What an incredible and marvelous truth that it will take us millennia to even begin to comprehend. There's a song that describes that truth well. And you might know it. It goes like this. Down from His glory, ever-living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was His name. Born in a manger, to His own a stranger, a man of sorrow's grief, and agony. Oh, how I love Him, how I adore Him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all, the great Creator became my Savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in Him. 
God sent forth his son, and it says, made of a woman. What an interesting phrase that is. How did the Savior reveal himself, manifest himself to the world? He didn't just appear in an instant. He had done that before. He appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Joshua. Several times in Scripture, we find that the pre-incarnate Son of God showed himself to mankind. But this time, things were different. This time, God the Son did not just appear. No, the Bible says he was made of a woman. He became a man like you and I. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God in the Virgin Mary's womb, and he went through all three trimesters. He was born in a natural birth. He entered the world the same way that you and I have entered into it, as a baby. God himself became a man, dwelled among men, lived and breathed as a man. He was holy God and holy man. He worked, he played, he ate, he slept, he aged. He experienced joy and sorrow. He experienced peace and anxiety. Being God, he was holy and completely without sin. Never once did he anything wrong. He never spoke a cross word. He never had a hateful thought. He was never dishonest. He was never selfish. He was made of a woman. He was made under the law. He was born a Jew. He was subject to the law of Moses. He came as a Jew so that he might be the Messiah of the Jews. He fulfilled every single precept of God's law as a Jew, though the Jews could never accomplish that themselves. Peter himself admits in Acts 15, verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter says, we couldn't fulfill the law. We couldn't keep the law. Yet that little baby in that manger was no ordinary man. He is and was the very Son of God. God clothed in human flesh. He became a man, one of us, out of His great love for us and in obedience to God's plan for us. Philippians chapter 2 is a familiar passage speaking of Christ coming and being a man. It says in verses 5-11, through 11, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that very same Jesus, who came as a baby, will in the fullness of time return as King of kings and as the righteous judge. And in that day, the entire world will yield to him. What is offered to us today is a Savior, God's Son. The opportunity to know Him as your Lord and your friend before He comes back as the King and the Judge. The sovereign son, God sent the Son of God because He is the saving God. 
the saving God. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He came to redeem us. The cost of that redemption was a perfect sacrifice. And God provided that sacrifice in His Son. God loves you that much because He sent His Son to lay down His life for us. God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize this morning that there is not a single man or woman born on this planet that are righteous? Not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And with that sin comes a penalty. Torment and punishment forever in a real place called hell. If we die in our sins, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And there's nothing we can do to be righteous on our own because every single thing we do is tainted by that sin. As Isaiah says, we are all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The very best we can do is filthy in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. God must punish sin. He despises sin because of His righteousness, but He loves you in spite of your sinfulness. And in this was manifested the love of God toward us in that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. God sent His Son, perfect, sinless, to die in your place. The wages of sin is death. To take your punishment. God loves you so much that instead of punishing you for your sin, He punished His own Son in your place. And Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave, and now sits in his, at the right hand of His Father in heaven and offers the free gift of eternal life to all who will receive it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, shall be saved. If you will call on Jesus alone for salvation from sin, God will forgive your sin, give you eternal life, and save you from the power of your sin and from the penalty of hell. He gave us this promise, Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He let shepherds visit the stable, and He won't turn you away either. He desires for you to be a part of His family. But as many as received Him, the Bible says, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And I wonder this morning, are you sure that you've received the Savior? The true gift of Christmas is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, because God gave His Son so that we could have eternal life. But the truth about gifts that I think all of us understand, especially around this time, is that you don't reap the benefits of a gift until you accept the gift. We already have gifts under our tree. Our children have counted them, have checked the names and all the tags. And why are those gifts there? Those gifts are there to be opened. A gift left under the tree is wasted. If my children knew about the gift, saw the gift, read their name on the gift, but never opened the gift, 
they would miss out on the gift. They would never know the benefits of receiving that gift. And the gift of eternal life is like that. God has prepared a gift for you. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness from sins. It's salvation from sin, death, and hell through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever received that gift? Have you ever received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith alone in Christ that He died in your place on the cross, that He already paid the penalty for your sin, and that if you will but put your faith in Him, you'll be saved? Have you let Him save you? Without Christ, Christmas is just a busy holiday. It tends to make people eh, a little happier, but it also tends to put people in debt and stress them out. But with Christ, with Christ, Christmas is so much more than a holiday. It's the birthplace of hope. It's the ultimate act of love and the gift of a Savior, the only begotten Son of God. What does Christmas mean to you? It should mean that because Jesus came that very first Christmas and lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay your sin debt, to be your substitute, because He rose again the third day and ascended up to His Father in heaven and offers eternal life to anyone who would just receive it. Because of that, today you know that your sins are forgiven and you know that you will spend eternity in God's perfect heaven. Is that what Christmas means to you? Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes, and we'll do the invitation a little bit different this morning. Susanna, if you would just come back and play again, even that piece you played for the meditation, that would be great. This morning, for the Christians in this room, those that know for sure that Christ has saved them from their sins, they know for sure, without a doubt, that if this was their last day, they would wake up in God's heaven. I wonder if this morning you need to put your life back in the hands of the God who's in control. Maybe this morning as we talked about God's sovereignty, you realized that you've been putting your faith in other things beyond the sovereignty of your God. Maybe this morning you need to take some time and do some business with the Lord. Maybe this morning you're here and you've realized that, you know, you like Christmas and it's great and all, but you're really not sure that you have eternal life. You're not sure that your sins are forgiven. You're not sure that you've received Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says this, These things are written that ye may know that you have eternal life. Do you know this morning? Because not a single person in this room needs to leave today with any doubts. You can leave today knowing, without a doubt, 
that you're going to go to heaven, that your sins are forgiven. We would love to take a Bible, answer any questions you might have, but I'd encourage you, if that's you this morning, if you have questions, if you have doubts about your salvation, just come forward to the front and we'll pair you up with somebody that will take some time to show you for sure how to be saved. We would love to do that this morning. Nobody's looking around. If that's you, just come up front, come forward and say, Pastor, I've got to have my questions answered. I've got to know. We'll give you some time. thank you, Father, that you sent your Son, that you're in control. Lord, what a privilege it is to know you. We pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that isn't sure that they know you, that they would ask the questions, they would seek us out, that they might leave this place today knowing the true meaning of Christmas. And for the rest of us, that we would live in light of the hope that we have, especially during this Christmas time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.